Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Thank you for being here. And if you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the middle to the book of Psalms and to Psalm number 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You could take that Bible and turn to page 401 in the front part, and you would be at Psalm 23. If you haven't already figured it out from some of our worship songs and some of our comments, we are involved in a series of studies on Psalm 23 that we have entitled, The God Who Is There. And Psalm 23 is the most well-known psalm. It's also the most requested psalm. Today, we come to the most familiar portion of the psalm. It is a portion that is very soothing to our ear, and just hearing it gives you an abstract sense of encouragement. But here's the key question. Is the section we're going to look at today really going to make a difference in our life when we're laid off from our job? or when we have received a diagnosis of cancer? Is it really going to make a difference when our spouse walks out the door? Is it going to make a difference when we find out our child is on drugs? Is it going to make a difference when we have fallen into bankruptcy and maybe even lost our business? Is this section really going to make a difference when we find ourselves in a life situation where we are reaping the consequences from poor choices? Or when we're in a life situation where we are lonely, we're thinking no one cares, and we even have that flash of a thought of suicide. Is this section really going to make a difference when we find ourselves in those circumstances? And the answer is a resounding yes, if we will zoom in on and reflect on and trust in what David has to share with us today. Now, as we have been studying Psalm 23, we have seen in verse 2, in the first part of verse 3, that he is a God who satisfies. He meets our needs for rest and refreshment and restoration. And then in the last part of verse 3, we saw that he is the God who guides. He guides us in the right paths. And the paths that he puts us on, the tracks that he directs us to follow, are ultimately all about his honor and his glory. It teaches me that life is about him, not about me. And today we come to verse 4 of Psalm 23, where we're going to see that he is the God who protects. If you have your Bible open, I would like to read the first four verses of the psalm, invite you to follow along as I'm reading. David writes and he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Now, I want you to keep your eyes on those verses, and I want you to notice that there is a shift that takes place in Psalm 23. You see, in verse 1, he talks about who the shepherd is, that he is Yahweh God. And then in verses 2 and 3, he talks about what the shepherd does. Now we see a shift where he begins to talk directly to the shepherd. He shifts from the third person to the first person. And what we have, in my opinion, in verse 4, is a valuable, valuable gold mine of practical truth for your life and mine. And it's going to be good to look more closely at it. Now, here's our plan for today. We're basically going to do three three things. Number one, we're going to look at some background from the sheep world. You know, when we read this, we don't immediately identify with everything that's going on. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the nature of the valley. He's talking about walking through a valley. We want to look at the nature of that valley. And then the third thing, which is really the key thing, is we want to look at the shepherd's protection. So that's what we're going to do this morning. First of all, some background from the sheep world, then the the nature of the valley, and then the shepherd's protection. So let's get started. I'm anxious to get into this. Let's begin by looking at some background from the sheep world. Now, this is the sheep world of the Middle East, and here's what would happen there. In the spring, a shepherd would have his sheep graze in the lowlands, and they would do that throughout the spring. But as summer began to approach, the grass in the lowlands would begin to be depleted. And so as summer was coming, the shepherd would take his sheep and he would head for higher ground. He would head up into the hills and up into the mountains. The shepherd knew that it was important at this time to lead the sheep up. Now, in Israel, there are many mountains and hills and valleys, and in many of those valleys, you will find very narrow canyons, and these narrow canyons would often have deep, dark ravines, and to walk through them was a little bit foreboding because of several reasons. One, your footing would be uncertain in them, and also, they had dark crevices and holes, and sometimes wild animals would hide in them, or snakes would lurk there. And despite these dark, dangerous-feeling valleys, the shepherd knew that it was very important to head for higher ground. He knew that it was very important to lead the sheep up. Now, you will remember in this analogy, we are the sheep. And here's what's important for us to understand. Valleys are part of the shepherd's plan for our lives. He is going to lead us into valleys, and his goal ultimately is to take us to higher ground. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He's going to lead us into the valleys, ultimately to lead us up, to develop our character, and to make us more like Christ. In the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas were moving around, 
And it says that they would move around from church to church and they would strengthen the disciples. And in Acts 14, 22, it says they were strengthening the disciples to continue in the faith. But here's the message that he gave to them. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Translation, he's going to lead you through some valleys. But the goal of leading you into the valley is to lead you up. You see, it is in the valley, in the dark canyons, and in the deep ravines that faith grows. That is where our faith is strengthened. So that's just a little bit from the world of sheep. I want to very quickly, though, get to the nature of the valley, the nature of the valley. Notice there in verse 4, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, that little phrase in English, the shadow of death, is actually one word in Hebrew. And it is a broader word than just talking about death. In fact, if you have a New American Standard and you have a margin reading there, it would say the valley of deep darkness, even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness. The New Living Translation says, even though I walk through the darkest valley. It's interesting that the Bible mentions a number of valleys by name. For example, you have the Valley of Angkor, which literally means the Valley of Trouble or Calamity. And then you have the Valley of Baca, B-A-C-A, which literally is the Valley of Weeping or Affliction. And then you have another valley, which is called the Valley of Decision. And here's what's interesting. At times... Every one of ourselves is going to find ourselves in the valley of trouble. At times, every one of ourselves is going to find ourselves in the valley of weeping and affliction. At times, every one of ourselves is going to find ourselves in the valley of big decisions. Now, how do we react when we get there? What's our common reaction? Our common reaction, if he takes us into the valley of trouble and calamity, is, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing me to come into this in my life? Get me out of here. I want out of here. It's too scary. It's too difficult. It's too hard. And yet he'll lead us there. You know, at the end of verse 3, remember how it talks about he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's going to guide me on the right paths. Sometimes people think if I just was always consistently on the right path, there'd be no valleys of deep darkness in my life. Oh, no. Sometimes the very fact that we are on the right paths leads us into a valley of darkness. Sometimes as we walk the right paths, He will lead us into a path of darkness. For example, think about this in our culture today. If you take a stand for the sanctity of marriage, that marriage is between a husband and a wife and a male and a female, and that is the right path, that's a path of righteousness, you're going to find yourself in a dark valley because our culture is going to say 
call you names for even holding that view. For example, when it comes to taking a stand where we're not condemning homosexuals, but we are rejecting homosexuality, we're saying that's not an acceptable lifestyle in God's viewpoint. That's the right path to be on. But boy, you go on that path, and you're going to be in a dark valley. Most of you are aware that we just had at our city council um, a recommendation for the month of October to be the the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender month, you know, where they would have a special status for that month. You know, amazing to me that we would grant special status. I'm glad that, you know, we had to throw the transgender in there too. But listen, when you take a stand and say that's not really something we ought to give special status to, whoa, now, now you're in a dark valley. By the way, kudos to Dan Quinn, who is the representative on the city council from from my area, for being the only person to vote against that. But you see, you walk the right path, and you can find yourself in a dark valley very, very quickly. Think about being a politician who dares to quote Bible verses in a public manner, and then it gets totally distorted, like happened with uh, Florida Representative Alan Grayson with his opponent, Daniel Webster, who had quoted some verses, and then he ends up calling him Taliban Dan twisting everything, but you see, you can be on the right path and it leads to a dark valley. Listen, if you're a student, high school student, college student, and you stand up among the student population and you say, I believe in absolute truth, that there is truth for all people at all times, in all places, look out. You're going to catch it. You're going to find yourself in a dark valley. So here's what I want us to understand. It's not, oh, if I just stay on the right paths, there'll be no dark valleys. No, even when we're on the right paths, for his name's sake, his honor and glory, he may take us through a valley of deep darkness. So the dark valleys, it may be a valley of trouble and calamity, or it may be a valley of weeping and affliction. Here's what we need to understand. They're part of the shepherd's plan. Why does it shock us so much? I think because often we are operating with a faulty assumption. And here's the faulty assumption. Life should be smooth. Now think about it. How, think about it this week. How often do you operate with that mentality? Life should be smooth. Listen, life's not always going to be smooth because dark valleys are part of the shepherd's plan. Think about the Lord Jesus. Think about Christ. Did he suffer? Was he mistreated? Was he rejected by people? Did he experience loneliness? Did he experience temptations? Did he experience trials and difficulties and dark valleys? Of course, the answer to all those things is yes. Then why should we think it's strange? when we too experience those things. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness. By the way, when it it talks about here the valley of the shadow of death, very common translation, you know, death is the darkest uh, valley any of us will ever face. Whether it's the death of a loved one or even our own death, 
few weeks ago, Bob and Nancy Clark were very kind to give me a, a book written in 1921 entitled The Shepherd's Psalm. It's by a guy named William Evans, and this is what he has to say about this darkest valley that we have to face. He says, we cannot bribe death. We cannot avoid or evade passing through the valley of the shadow of death. We cannot dig under it, nor tunnel around it, nor fly over it. Face it, we must. The valley of the shadow of death is narrow, very narrow. So narrow, indeed, that even a mother cannot take her one-hour baby with her. It is so narrow, she must go through the valley alone. Single file, if you please, is the order of march through this valley of the shadow. Now let your eyes go back to verse 4. I want you to notice a few of the phrases that are here. He says, even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, even though I walk that implication, I will and you will. Even though I walk, but then notice the key word here, through the valley of deep darkness. See, the valley is not our permanent resting place. We're just traveling through the valley on our way up. But in God's time, as we enter the valley, we're going to come out the other side. See, we don't reside there. We don't camp out there permanently. Even though I walk through the valley. And all of that leads us now to the shepherd's protection, which is really what we wanted to get to this morning. Look again at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I fear no evil. The New Living Translation says, I will not be afraid. By the way, the word evil is a pretty broad term. It could easily be translated here, calamity. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I fear no calamity. I don't fear danger. I don't fear harm. Now, here's something that's very, very important. I don't want you to miss this because a lot of times we're asking the why question. Part of God's goal when he takes us through valleys of deep darkness is to free us from the stronghold of fear in our life. That's part of his goal is to free us from the stronghold of fear. You say, well, how does that work? Well, as we walk through the valley, and you'll go through many of them, what happens? You experience God's protection. And you learn something from that. You experience his presence, and you learn something from that. You know, it's not the end of the world to go through the valley. And as you go through those processes, he begins to break down that stronghold of fear in our life. Now, I just want you to understand, don't ever forget who wrote this. David knew what it was like. He learned what this was all about. He knew what it was like to battle fear. He spent a good portion of his life running for his life. 
I don't know how many of us have ever had an army chasing personally after you alone. He went through that for much of his life. First, it was King Saul who was trying to rub him out and track him down. And then it was his own son who was doing that. David lived this, you see. He went through the dark valleys, and he learned something about the stronghold of fear in his life, and that is it needed to come down. I I say all that just to connect us. We can learn from David here. It's almost like he's come back from the grave and he says, I want to help you. Even though I walk through a deep, dark valley, I fear no evil, no calamity. Now, why does he say that? Why does he say, I fear no calamity? Well, it's the rest of the verse. For you, God, my shepherd, are with me. The New Living Translation says, you are close beside me. What he was saying is, I've learned this. I've learned to recognize God's presence. Yahweh God is my shepherd. And David knew that no matter where he was led, that the shepherd was aware of the situation, that the shepherd was able in the situation, and that the shepherd cared. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I fear no calamity, for you are with me. And this is a theme in the Bible that is repeated over and over and over and over again. Why is it? Because we're slow to remember it. For example, I'll just give you these passages to Jacob. And as we read these, I want you to think about them being directed to you personally. To Jacob in Genesis 28, 15, God said, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. To Moses in Exodus 33, 14, he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. To Joshua in Joshua 1, 5 and 9, God said, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, whatever dark valley you go into. To the nation of Israel in Isaiah 41.10, he said, do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely you can count on this. I will help you. Surely you can count on this. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Over and over again, the message, the reminder comes. To the disciples in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. To the believers and the saints in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, He says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. And then we have Paul's testimony in 2 Timothy 4.17, where he says this, the Lord 
stood with me. When I was in the valley of deep darkness, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I want to share with you a story that Haddon Robinson tells. It's a story of a, a mother and her small son who were on the train traveling from Chicago to California, and that's a long way. And as young boys are, you know, this, this little lad got quite restless on the train car, and so what he would do is he'd get up from his seat, and then he would go to the end of the car and get a drink of water. Then he would come flying back down. And then later on, he would get up again, and he just would run to the end of the car, and he would come back to where his mother was seated. And then later, he'd get up again, and he'd run to the other end of the car. And after that happened several times, there was this woman who was sitting directly across the aisle from the mother. And this lady called the little boy over to her and said, that's a lovely sailor suit that you have on. And the little boy goes, well, my mommy made it for me. And he was beginning to tell this lady this story. And as he was telling her the story, the train plunged into a tunnel and suddenly the car went dark. And the little boy just turned around from the lady, jumped across the aisle, threw his arms around his mother's legs and said, Mommy, Mommy, you're here, and I'm not scared, am I? You see, he was really just saying, it got dark, but I'm really not afraid, Mom, because you're with me. I remember, this was several decades back, when our oldest child, Rebecca, was a toddler, and there was a time when she became very aware of the sound of crickets and cicadas outside her window. And she was extremely afraid of that. And her response was to come to Janet and to myself and say, I want to be in your room. Now, when we moved her in our room, did it change any of the circumstances? No, the crickets and the cicadas were still singing away. But in the midst of the fear that she had, she was comforted because she was with us. My second daughter, Emily, is a grown woman and very responsible. She owns her own home. And in the last couple of years, this has happened twice, in the middle of the night, her house alarm started going off. And I get a call from Emily. And she's basically saying, Dad, my house alarm is going off. What am I supposed to do? Here's what I heard, really, when Emily said that to me. Dad, can you come over? I'd feel better if, if you were here. See, men and women, he is the God who is there. And in your past, when you suffered that illness, he was there. In the past, when you went through that divorce, he was there. When you lost that job, he was there. When you were in prison, he was there. When you lost that dear loved one, he was there. When you were struggling with your kid, he was there. He is the God who is there. He was there in the past, and he's going to be there in the future. You see, there's some dark valleys he's going to lead you into. And it's important to understand in the future when you face unemployment that you are not alone. The Lord is with you. 
In the future, when you find yourself in the middle of some marital struggles, remember that you are not alone, the Lord is with you. In the future, when you find yourself dealing with a parenting puzzle, and when I had four kids, there were plenty of parenting puzzles, and when you have that future parenting puzzle, puzzle, remember that you're not alone, the Lord is with you. When you have that financial crisis and you're going into that dark valley, remember that you're not alone, the Lord is with you. And even when you have to face death, remember that you're not alone, the Lord is with you. I fear no calamity, for you are with me. Now, notice he goes on to talk a little bit more about some pictures from the sheep world. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, a shepherd's rod was basically a a two-foot-long club. It was a very heavy stick. Usually, it had a rounded head carved and whittled maybe from a branch knot or from a tree ball. And sometimes a shepherd would put shards of stone into his rod or maybe some metal pieces. And remember, this was the day before there were firearms. And you have to deal with lions and other wild animals. And so they would, a shepherd would carry the rod in their belt. And they would use the rod in defense of the sheep. They would take that rod and they might use it to pound on an attacking animal. Another thing they could do with the rod is they would practice this, throwing it a little bit like a tomahawk. When there was an animal a ways away, they might just throw that thing right at the animal. We don't have time to look at it, but I want you to just um, jot down 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 to 37, because there you'll find David giving a historical account about how he used the rod against a lion and a bear. And he talks about how he would hit the animal, and if it didn't back off, he would then grab a hold of it and just club it to death with a rod. It was an up-close weapon. Now, the rod is a symbol of God's power. He says, your rod, and then he says, your staff. Now, that was a different implement. Staff was a tall stick with a hook on the end. Many of us are familiar with a shepherd's staff. How would you use a shepherd's staff? Well, you would use it to maybe pull the sheep out of a hole it had gotten itself into, you know, extracting it from a perilous situation. You would use it as you were taking your flock along, and maybe you would come to a thicket, and you would use that to pull back the branches of the thicket. And remember, they have all this wool, and a lot of things will stick to the wool, and sometimes you would use the staff to unstick their wool from the thorns and the brambles. Another way the staff was used by the shepherd was to beat the grass to flush out any snakes that would be there. The staff is a symbol of God's protective care. See, the idea is that whatever situation might occur, the shepherd was fully prepared He was more than able. He was there. And he says, using all of this analogy, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The translation of the message says, they make me feel secure. That's the idea. 
reassures me. God, your power and your protective care make me feel secure. See, under the watchful eye of a shepherd, a sheep needs to know that he is always there. And we need to be reassured that despite the valley of deep darkness, he's there with his power and he's there with his protective care. So the question is, is the shepherd big enough? Is the shepherd adequate to the task? Does the shepherd care? Yeah, he cares. No matter what the the deep, dark valley may be. You know, it's commonly translated here in verse 4, the valley of the shadow of death. And that's probably the darkest valley we ever have to enter into. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a great preacher from Philadelphia, had his first wife die, and he and his children were coming home from the funeral grieving. And he was just pondering the whole experience. And as they were driving, this large moving van drove by, and the shadow of the truck swept over the car. And suddenly a thought came to his mind. So he turned to his children and he said, Would you rather be run over by a truck or run over by its shadow? And one of the kids spoke up and said, Well, Dad, I'd rather be run over by the shadow because the shadow can't hurt you. 2,000 years ago, a truck ran over Jesus Christ, and we only have to face the shadow. You doubt God's love for you? You've lost sight of the fact that he let the truck of death run right over him. Don't ever forget that it's in the darkness that we grow. It's, it's when we're going through the valley of deep darkness that we can truly come to understand who God is. And when we're in the valley of deep darkness, he wants you to look to him. Now, I want you to just think back. I don't, it'll be different for different people, but think back for a moment to your own past dark days, some difficult valleys, valleys that he led you through. Think back. What comes to your mind? Did the shepherd fail you? No, he was right in the middle of it. He led you through that valley then, and he will lead you through that valley now, and he will lead you through that valley in the future. How about this for a question? What amount of courage does a sheep need? And the answer is none, really. What the sheep needs to do is to trust the shepherd. You know, I've read some anecdotes. This is actually possible of situations where you have sheep and there is a wolf nearby. And the sheep are even aware that there is a wolf nearby. But when they know that the shepherd is there with them, those sheep will continue 
grazing. Because they're looking to the shepherd. Corey Tenboom used to say this. When the train goes through a tunnel and the world gets dark, do you jump out? Of course not. You sit still and trust the engineer to get you through. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I fear no calamity, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Alan Emery is an entrepreneur who decided to start the wool business. And part of learning that is he decided to spend an evening with a shepherd on the Texas prairie. And in this situation, there were 2,000 sheep, one shepherd, three sheepdogs, and a bonfire going that night. And suddenly, during the night, the air was pierced by the long, loud wail of coyotes. And when that happened, the shepherd's dogs growled and peered outward into the darkness. The sheep, which had been sleeping, lumbered up to their feet, alarmed and bleeding. The shepherd, in response to that, immediately tossed more logs onto the fire, and the flames shot up brightly. Or the dogs remained focused out in the darkness. And in that glow, Alan looked outward and saw thousands of little lights. And he was thinking, what is that? And then he realized that those were reflections of the fire in the eyes of the sheep. The sheep had instinctively looked toward the shepherd. And in the midst of the danger, he observed the sheep were not looking out into the darkness, but were keeping their eyes set in the direction of their safety. They were looking toward the shepherd. And so the question is, where are your eyes? Are they peering outward toward the darkness? Are they focused on the circumstances? Or are they fixed on the shepherd? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the Bible. This is the most valuable thing that I have. It is such a living book that is so practical. And Father, we need to realize that it's, it's normal for the shepherd to lead us up, to take us into valleys of darkness. He's going to take us through them. But he wants us to really deal with that stronghold of fear. May we remember that we have no reason to fear calamity, for you're with us every step of the way. And your power is there. And your care and protection is there. May we keep our eyes where they need to be, Father, fixed on the shepherd who loves us. Amen.